How's everybody tonight? Yeah. Hope you all had a good Christmas. Oh, yeah. Good. We got a good new year coming up. Yeah. All year, good year. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, praise God. I enjoyed uh, doing a Christmas Eve service. You know, usually my wife does the uh, the holiday services, but I had something this year to share, so uh, enjoyed doing it. And uh, we had a good time singing Christmas carols. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lip sync. I was going to turn on the Trans-Siberian soundtrack, but didn't work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think I may have forgotten to turn the microphone on. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, okay. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. We thank you, Lord, for all that have come to hear your word. Father, that everybody in the sound of my voice in the room, on live stream, and on podcast, Father, I thank you that your anointing goes out on your word that removes burdens and destroys yokes, that opens up our eyes. And Father, I thank you that revelation is imparted into our heart because of your word. And Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is not, I'm sorry, that the enemy is not able to stand against that impartation that the Holy Spirit brings to us. That we can take hold of that word, we can keep it, we can stand on it, and we can move in it, live in it, walk in it, and we can become that which your word declares, and the enemy will have no access into our lives. Father, I thank you for authority. I thank you for dominion. I thank you that you've given us all things that pertains to life and to godliness. I thank you, Father, that we continue to develop and grow in your divine nature, conforming to the image of Jesus, more and more walking in a manner worthy of you and pleasing you in all respects as we grow in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 19 this evening. Revelation chapter 19. And, um, you know, when uh, the book of Revelation opens up and John is on the Isle of Patmos and um, Jesus appears to him and he, sh he shows up now as the living one, right? And his appearance and what his appearance looked like in all of his glory. And John describes Jesus in, John, in, in Revelation chapter 1 and what he saw. And then after that, they went on to where Jesus spoke to the pastors of all the churches. He had some things to say to the churches, some commendations, some corrections, um, some um, uh, rebukes and promises for overcomers, right? And then after that, rapture was, is the tribulation time. Now we come to Revelation chapter 19 and tw all the way through the ending. And now he reverts back again to focus on the revelation of the Christ, who is the living Jesus, and his focus is on him in all of his glory. And um, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But yet everybody wants to know, well, who's the beast? And what about this? And what about that? That's not what the book's about. The book is about a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living one in all of his glory. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly not an expert on this book, as I am in any book from Genesis to Revelation, but like all things, we study them, and as things are revealed, then we share uh, those things, and that's what I want to do is share some of those things with you tonight. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 19, and let's read verses 1 through 6, Revelation 19, 1 through 6. He says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belongs to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, go ahead and praise Him. Praise the Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. We say hallelujah to our God, the Holy One, the glorious King, the mighty God, our Redeemer and Savior, our all in all and our everything. We bless you. We bless you with the host of heaven, Lord God. We add our voices to the multitude that gives you the praise and the glory and the honor. Oh, we thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for it, Jesus. You know, never think you say hallelujah too many times because they're right there and watch six verses. They're saying it over and over again. That's what goes on at the throne. Isn't that right? Amen. So right here, he's being revealed as the reigning king and he reigns forever and ever. Hallelujah. Because it says in, uh, in Isaiah, remember, there is no end to the increase of his kingdom. Not just that there's no end to his kingdom, there's no end to the increase of his kingdom. His kingdom continues to increase and increase, and the government of his kingdom continues to increase. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verses 7 through 9. He says, let us rejoice and be glad. And give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. That's a great time of celebration. There's a lot of celebrating that goes on in heaven. If you don't like it quiet, I mean, if you don't like it loud and you like it quiet, you're not going to like heaven. Heaven is loud. (laughs) Amen. So he says, uh, blessed are those who are invited to a marriage supper of the Lamb. And he talked about the bride. Well, is the church the bride? Okay, the church is the bride. 
then you're not invited to the marriage supper. Excuse me. How many of you ever gotten married? And how many of you ever had a reception? And how many of you sent, a re sent an invitation to yourself? Exactly. You don't get invited to the marriage supper. You are the bride. So, don't let, you know, I've heard people say that are you were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm like, no. I am the marriage. <laughs> uh, you're with me. See, you got to get these things straight in your thinking. Now, remember when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper and he gave them the elements of covenant, the bread and the wine, and he said, I will not drink this again, right? I said, he said it this way, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you. You who? The bride. And I'll drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. That's just what he's talking about right here. This is that time when Jesus will drink of the fruit of the vine with his bride. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 11. He says, and I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Now, if you remember when he spoke to the church of Laodicea, he was known as faithful and true witness, right? And it's also that he judges, right, he judges in righteousness and he wages war. So when it comes to dealing with an enemy, Jesus is not the loving God of your emotions. He's very, very serious about this stuff. Verse 12, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. All right, the flame of fire, now that was written to the church of Thyatira, the one with the eyes of fire, okay? And also, these are part of the descriptions of when John saw Jesus in chapter 1. When remember he says, I turned to hear the see the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw one like the Son of Man, his eyes like fire, and he had a golden sash across his chest. He had a robe, white robe to his feet. His hair was white, white like wool, like snow. His feet were like burnished bronze. And all those descriptions that he talks about is how Jesus describes a piece of himself to all the churches. And now we see that he is. All of those things in reality, they're not just symbols, they're not just figures, but they are him, who he is, and how he is described in the book of Revelation. He has many crowns on his head, no more crown of thorns, but he has many crowns, and crowns are always a sign of victory, because Jesus had victory after victory after victory over the enemy. From the time he was led into the wilderness and he defeated the devil on every temptation in the wilderness to the time he came out the other side of the resurrection, he had victory after victory after victory over the enemy. 
and because of his many crowns, it shows his ultimate royal authority that he is king of kings. And he has a new name. Well, that's what was said to the church of Philadelphia about having a new name. Verse 13. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So the blood, there's, there's some different things said about the blood. His robe is dipped in blood. Some think that it's the blood of the martyrs. Some think that it's the blood of his enemies. The one I like is that it's his own blood, in which was the blood of victory. The sinless, spotless blood that was shed. Amen. But what is his name now? The word of God. The word of God. See, that's his heavenly name. That was his name from eternity past. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And all things came into being by him. And apart from him, there's nothing that's come into being. He is the word made flesh. And dwelt among us. Isn't that right? Yeah. The word of God. He is the living word of God. That word that you have in your hand, when you get that in your heart, not in your head, but when you get it in your heart, that is the living Jesus yeah. inside of you. How much of Jesus lives in you? How much of that word lives, lives in you? How much of that word lives in you? That's how much of Jesus that lives in you. He's the living word. There were three in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And the three are one because the three are in perfect harmony and agreement. Amen. And now that he has finished his earthly uh, assignment, he's now back in the heavenlies known again as the Word. He is the Word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Okay? The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, linen, and they were all following him, which makes him the commander of the armies. The commander of the armies of the saints who are dressed in fine white linen, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. Amen. So how long is your robe going to be? How much is your robe going to cover you? It's the robe of, white, of, of righteous deeds. Amen. So a lot of times we think about Jesus as the commander of the armies of heaven, but he's the commander of the armies of the saints. Will you be in that army? See, these are the things that we look to that Jesus is revealing to us and gives us an opportunity to say, I want to be in there and then live like you're going to be. Verse 15. This is not just an informational book. This is a book to set your eternity and set your perspective so that you have something to aim for because you want to be there. In verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. A two-edged sword, that's how he was defined to the church of Pergamum. 
His feet are no more burnished bronze, but they are now bronzed. And because they're bronzed, what that means is that he's now walking in judgment. The first time he came for salvation, the second time he comes to judge and rule with a rod of iron. You want to be on the right side of that. Amen. It is good for us to remember that this dramatic display of judgment comes only after the end of a long time of grace, patience, and mercy. That this is absolutely no rush to judgment. Jesus has amply displayed his nature of mercy, forgiveness, and grace to this fallen world. And he comes now to judge a world hardened and totally given over to their rebellion and hatred towards him. Jesus does not hate his enemies. It's his enemies that hate him. And because they hate him, they are in rebellion towards him, and therefore there's war. Are you with me? It's not God's idea. How do you know that? Because of a long time of grace and patience and mercy and giving every single person the chance to make the turn, get it right, get your life straightened out, receive the blood of the Lamb, be washed clean of sin, and come into the kingdom and become a child of the Most High God. But if we refuse after a long time, was it saying in Peter, he is not slow about his promises, but he does not wish that anyone would perish, for God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, that's his desire. That's what he wants. That's why he sent Jesus when the whole world was wrapped up in the bondage of sin and death. And on the way to hell, he sent his son so that we could be delivered and free, which proves how much he loves you. Yeah. Amen. Verse 16. It says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So now he's revealed as the ultimate leader the ultimate ruler, the king, the majesty on high, and all others are subject to him. He is the greatest, highest authority in all of creation. If you remember in chapter 12 of Revelation, when it says about, it did a recap and it talked about the woman, which was Israel, and she was about to give birth to a son, and the serpent was there and wanted to, to kill the, the, the child, but the child was caught up to God. And then when he was caught up to God, it says, and there was a sound, a voice in heaven that said, now the salvation, the kingdom, and the glory of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. Because Jesus is the one that carries the authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He is the ultimate leader and commander and authority of all of creation. And you know what? When it comes to his authority, your truth don't mean squat. Because when your truth is a lie, then how great the darkness is, because you think it's the truth. And we got to get lined up with 
his truth because there is no other truth. In fact, when Jesus spoke to the Father, he said to the Father, thy word is truth. There is no other truth but the word of God. Verse 17 through 19. He says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. This is not the marriage feast. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. You know, the devil still thinks he's going to win. He is, he is so messed up, he still thinks he's going to win. But he's still deceiving others to think that they can overcome the one that is the Lord of all. They think he still got people deceived that, yeah, I just do it my way. I can do it better than that. I just overcome. I, I don't have to go that way. Well, there is no other way to go because you don't have a way. You're a created being. You don't have a way. You, either, you have to choose a way. You either choose God's way or you choose the devil's way. You choose the path that leads to eternal life or you choose the one that heads to hell. There is no other choice. I wish I had better news for you. But that's it. And the Bible is full of two choices, two ways, two gates, two paths. It's always two. It's the right one or the wrong one. Amen. And he says here, the beast was seized and the false prophet. They were seized. They were just grabbed. Suddenly, it's a quick ending after a millennia of grace and endurance. Millennials of grace and endurance. Thousands of years of grace and endurance and patience and mercy. Boom, the time comes suddenly. Grab them, throw them out. We're done with them. That's it. Cleaned house. It doesn't take long. You know, when Lucifer tried to overtake heaven, the Bible says all that God did was glance at him. And he wasn't saying, yo, what's up? He just glanced at him like, you're done. He just looked at him, and that was it. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> done. Didn't even have a chance. He would have waited till he saw the whites of his eyes, but he had no white in him. He was Lucifer. He was totally dark. Isn't that right? Chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. So now we're into the thousand year reign. So the church age is done. 
tribulation age is done, and now we're into the thousand-year reign. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These are the victorious ones that have come out of the tribulation. Not just the victorious ones, but the beheaded ones. These are the martyrs. These chose to get saved during the tribulation time, but they're not part of the church. Church age was done at the rapture, okay? Verse 5. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So the martyrs were given special honor. Those that were martyred during the tribulation time get special honor. They did not take the mark. They did not take it on their forehead. They didn't take it in their hand. They took no mark of the beast, and they would not yield to the uh, 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 temptation to deny Christ, and they suffered beheading rather than to deny Christ, and they had special honor. But the one, others that came out of tribulation, I call them the normal religious. They didn't come to life until after the thousand years were completed. So the martyrs got special privileges, and they ought to. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So those that gave up their lives during the tribulation, Okay, they had the part in the first resurrection and over them, second death has no power. So what does that mean? It means that those that did not come to life for the thousand years has a chance that the second death may be where they wind up at. The second death cannot touch those that are in the first resurrection, the martyrs. The honored. Why are they honored? Because they honored the Lord with their life. Which means that those that are not raised in the millennium have a chance that they may enter into the second death. But those that have been raised will be priests of the Lord of Lords and reign with him for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 7 through 10. See, it gets quiet now. Because see, now it starts to hit home. And now you start to think about where your life is at. 7 through 10. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Done and finished forever. 
forever. Done and finished. This is Jesus' complete and total victory. Jesus is the one that has the complete and total victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So now, after this happened where Satan, the beast, and the false prophets thrown into the fire and brimstone forever, now comes the final judgment. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, you remember when Jesus spoke to the church of Sardis. What was their problem? Their deeds were not complete, or their faith was not complete. You remember that? Thank you. So, right now he says there was a standing before the throne books. Not a book, but books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's the book of life, and there's other books. Now, you remember about, and he talked about the book of life with the church of Sardis, and it wasn't about the book of life as far as whether you were saved or not, but he said to the church at Sardis, for those that overcome, your name will not get erased from the book of life or the book of deeds, which is a book about your life. So there is the book of life, and then there are books about your life. You understand? Okay? Everything in your life is on record. Nothing slides by. You may think you're not around a camera, but heaven got a camera, and everything is recorded. Your whole life is recorded. Now, that could be a happy thought, or that could be an old Jesus help me thought. Yeah. So our whole life is on record, and it's all written in the books. So here, again, we have a book of life, and we have a book about our life. Verse 13 through 15. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which was in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So if your name was not listed in the book of life, which is the book of those that are saved, okay? If your name is not listed in the book of life, Now, we're not talking here about the church. We're talking about those that were dead and did not come alive until after. Remember, the martyrs were raised, but then the others didn't come alive yet. This is the ones that came out, and they were dead until after the thousand-year reign. These are the ones that are being judged here. So, they're looking at the books and if their name is not written in the book of life, 
of being saved. I'm not talking about being a church, being in the church or the body of Christ. I'm not talking about being in the body of Christ. Because people during tribulation will be saved, but they won't be part of the church. Because the church age will be done at the rapture. Right? So, name written in the book of life. If the name is not written in the book of life and they're not saved, then they get judged according to their deeds. But no deeds can save us. So there's a good chance that there may be degrees of eternal punishment, just like there are degrees of rewards. Based on the good deeds you've done, there will be rewards. Based on the things you didn't do and you weren't obedient to God, you will lose rewards. Well, based on the, the good things that people did, even though they weren't saved, that may help them not have a greater punishment. But there will be. It's an eternal punishment. Some will be greater than others. There will be degrees in the realm of punishment, just as there are degrees in the realm of rewards. Amen. Verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw, now this is after the thousand-year reign's over, Satan's thrown in, the second death has taken place, the white throne judgment is finished, every, everything is done. And it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Now, just think about this. The whole earth now is covered with land and totally inhabitable. There is no sea. It's all land. That's going to hold a lot of people. You think you might say, oh, we need a little more land for people? It's coming. There'll be no sea at all. It'll be new heavens and new earth after the thousand-year reign. The seas all disappear. So you can sell your boat. <laughs> There'll be no more fishing. <laughs> There'll be no seas. It'll be all inhabitable land. That's how many people will be in heaven that's going to come and live on the earth. You know you live on the earth for eternity. You're not going to live in heaven for eternity. Heaven's a holding place. So we get to come back and live on the earth and in the universe. Verses 2 to 5. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready. Now listen, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. It doesn't say that the new Jerusalem is the bride. It says the new Jerusalem is adorned, made ready just like a bride is adorned for her husband. So the new Jerusalem is really decked out. Pretty much could just say that. Verses 4 and 5. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Hallelujah. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Faithful and true. The faithful and true is on the throne. And when, just like when he spoke to Laodicea, the faithful and true witness. The church in Philadelphia was promised for all those that would be victorious that they would be citizens in the city of my God. 
That's what Jesus said. For them that overcome, you will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. That's what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia. And here he is talking about it. Adorned as a bride. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. Last time he said that, he was on the cross. Now he's saying it in glory. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the final revelation of Isaiah chapter 55 where he said, come by and eat without cost. Remember? Isaiah, well, this is the final revelation of it. Revelation, we always say it. Revelation is successive along the way. But then there's a final point of it. And this is the final point of that. Verse 7 and 8. It says, he who overcomes. He who, ever, he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, he said, for those that overcome. Now, it tells us in 1 John 5, 5, that we overcome the world through faith, which is actually the faith. We overcome the world by the faith, which is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That he gave his life, he shed his blood to wash us clean so we could be free from sin, free from the captivity and bondage of sin. That we could be delivered out of sickness, disease, and lack, and anxiety, and worry, and fear, and everything and anything else that hell has to offer any human being. You could be free from it all. Hallelujah. And those are the overcomers. And it's open to anybody and everybody that would say, yes, that's what I want. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These have overcome every temptation, every test, and every trial, and did not turn their back on, nor did they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. As compared to the cowardly. Who are the cowardly? Those that are too coward to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They think, oh, that's for sissies. You're a coward. Because you don't understand what real strength is. Are you with me? And I understand that because for 30 years of my life, I was there. They were too cowardly to accept Christ. Too cowardly to hold on to him. And they turn their back on him, deny him. The unbelieving. Well, who's the unbelieving? Those that do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They live in abominable heresies against Christ and against his provided salvation. You know, I used to think it was very cool to walk up to somebody that had a PTL license plate on their car and come up with an acronym for a PTL and pretty much just cuss them out. It was just abominations. And honestly, before I got saved, I couldn't be abominable enough. 
And that's exactly what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. They'd rather be immoral or any of these other things listed rather than to take hold of Jesus. I did that for 30 years. I wouldn't take hold of him. I'd rather be anything in that list rather than to take hold of Jesus. That was just a bunch of nonsense. But the day came and I ran into him face to face. And you know what happened when I ran into him face to face? Every yearning within me came alive in him. And I realized that he is who I was looking for all my life, and I never knew it. I didn't know it until I turned to him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Verses 22 and 23. I saw no temple in it, talking about the New Jerusalem, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamb. Is the lamb. Hallelujah. 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 So we talked about it from the book of Ephesians chapter 3 to unveil the unlimited riches of his glory. Well, this is his glory in full splendor. That there's no need for any sun. There's no need for any moon. The glory of God shines and illumines it. And the lamb is the one that diffuses the light among the people. He's the lamp of that splendor. Seeking the Lord in all of his glory. See, Jesus, when, when the word took on flesh, Jesus came to live among sinful people. And sinful people could not deal with the splendor of God. It would kill them. So he took on flesh to live among people. But now God is shown in his full splendor because those that are there are no longer in sin. They've been freed. They've been washed clean. And they could stand in the full splendor of God. Ooh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Verse 24. says, and the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, the nations, who are the nations? <clears throat> A lot of times through the Bible, we, we talk about the nations and we think about the world or we think about the Gentiles. But the nations are those that got saved during tribulation. That's not the church. They're living on the earth. Are you with me? The nations will walk by what? By the light that's in the Jerusalem. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory in to bring homage and to bring honor to the Lord God Almighty. So they are considered then the nations. So this imagery is derived from Isaiah, where it talks about arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord will be risen upon you. And the glory of the nations will come in. Well, again, it's successive revelation until it gets to its total and complete fulfillment. The total victory right there, the fulfillment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
chapter 22, verse 1. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophets always used the picture of a river as a powerful expression of the richness and the provision and the peace of God. And there's many, many uh, uh, places in the Old Testament that it was like that. So when he's talking about he showed me a river of the water of life that comes from the throne of God, this is a water of richness, provision, and peace to where you are not in want of anything. So you see, the religious people that want to tell you, the Lord is my shepherd. He meets all my needs. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Well, you see, want, that's just greed. No, it's not greed. It's God. That's what he wants. That you shall not want. That's what your eternity would be like, where you shall have no want. Not only your needs being met, but having no want. And where does it come from? The Lord and the throne. The unlimited grace of God. This is, this is grace and glory with all the limits taken off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 2. And in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree was for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life just is taken from the Garden of Eden. So here we are, just like God's plan from the very beginning. He's never lost sight of his original plan when he put man in the garden. Man's back again. Man's back to the tree of life. He's back to the rivers. He's back to all that God has created and all that God planned for him from the very beginning. So Satan may have come along and through sin and deceiving Eve and Adam, it may be that the plan got delayed, but God never let go of the plan because he never let go of you. Everything that was created was just for you. Amen. Hallelujah. So now we see again the tree of life appearing now in the new heaven and the new earth. And who is it for? Those whose names are in the book of life. Those that are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the leaves of the tree, it says, is for the healing of the nation. Well, you could say that it's health giving rather than to heal because there will be no sickness. But it's health giving for the nations because it's the nations need it to exist. Because the church has their life in Christ. He's in them and they're in him. But it's not that way with those that get saved during the tribulation. Because they're not the church. The church is the temple. But not those that got saved in the tribulation. So they need the leaves to continue to exist. So therefore, the difference the difference between the church's glorified bodies and the nations. The nations don't have a glorified body like the church does. Verse 3. And there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve him. No more curse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So again, if there's no more curse, why the leaves for the help? Just like the church. The church has life in it because of their living in Christ. But the nations don't have life in them because they're not in Christ. The roots of the trees, the roots, remember, talks about the imagery from my uh, uh, Psalms and the imagery from Jeremiah, I believe it is, Jeremiah 17. The roots of the trees extend out into the streams, and that's what gives it life. So the imagery of that is that we, our roots should be in the stream so that when all the crap hits the fan out there, it don't affect us. No matter what those yo-yos want to say out there, it don't affect us. Our, stream, our roots are in the stream. Our life is coming from the throne of God. Yeah. Our provision and our needs being met comes from the throne of God. Amen. Amen. And that's the fulfillment of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. There it is again. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Okay? So not only going to show us the next phase. See, everybody's like, well, when's the rapture going to take? When's Jesus coming? He's not going to just showing you the next phase. He's showing you all the way to the end. Why? Because he wants you to know. Doesn't the Holy Spirit show us things to come? You'd be amazed at how many things you would find on things to come in your own life if you would just read the word. He shows you things to come. You don't ever have to get caught off guard. Amen. He speaks the ending from the very beginning. When he put the garden on the earth and put Adam and Eve in the garden, he already speaking the ending. Now, if he could show us all these things, can he show you the little simple things of your own life? Listen, compared to this, I, I don't mean this in a rude way, but compared to all of this, what goes on in your life is really simple. It's really simple. I mean, you consider that he spoke this 2,000 years ago to John, but the plan was even 4,000 years before that. So 6,000 years in advance, he's already planned this all out. And you're worried about what in your life? Oh, I don't know if God can. Oh, I don't know if God will. Oh, I don't know if God's going to be able to show me. What? Why do we think that? Because we don't know him. If he could show us all of these things, he could certainly show us the simple things in our life. 6,000-year plan. You're going to be alive. Let's push it. 120. 120 years. Well, that's a long time. Really? He's been doing this for 6,000 years. And you think your 120-year 120 pl 120 plan is a big deal? It's only big to you. 
And he said these words are faithful and true. The word, the spirit, the God of the spirits of the prophets. So that means that everything that was prophesied and spoken through the whole Old Testament was God speaking to the spirits of his prophets so that they could write it down, which we know that from the word of God. Isn't that right? Revelation. Revelation begins by declaring a blessing for those that read this book. Isn't that what it says? Blessed are those that read the Revelation. Why? Because if you understand this, you will see the greatest blessing that you can ever step into is the ability to set your trust on the Lord. I mean set your trust on the Lord like a rock of Gibraltar and not move. Are you kidding me? Do you know what he's got going on? Do you know what he has planned? And you know what? He's got me in on that plan. And I'm worried about what rock of Gibraltar set my trust on him. The same word that says that is the same word that says he's redeemed you from the curse. The same word that says that is the same word of God that says that he sent his word to heal you and deliver you from your destruction. The same word that says that is the same word that says my God will supply all of your needs. The same word that said that is the same word that says if you set your thoughts on me, I will keep you in perfect peace. It's the same word. He's the living God. He's the word of God and he is alive and he's the same yesterday today and forever hallelujah hallelujah we could set our trust on the Lord that he'll show me what I need to know he'll direct me in where I need to go he'll help me in what I need to do he'll lead me and he'll guide me in the truth why do so many Christians have problems being led and guided by God? Because they don't spend enough time in the truth. Listen, prayer is a good thing. Prayer is good. You need to pray. But in the list of things, prayer is on the bottom of the list. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Yeah. Number one is the Word of God. Yeah. The reason we, don't have, we have trouble getting directed by God is because we don't know the word. Son of man, oh, if you be the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm getting something from God here. Oh, the Lord said. No, he knew. He knew what it said. No, man shall not live by bread alone. I know what the word says. And I'm going to speak it out from me. It's going to push you down to the ground. So then Satan said, well, I'm going to play that game too. Go ahead and throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because the word of God says he'll, he will give his angels charge over you to watch over you lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said, that is not life-giving. You might say something, but it ain't life-giving. And that didn't come from my father. That came from you. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Are you with me? If you want to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit, you got to get in the truth because he leads you and guides you in the truth. If you don't know the word, you don't know the Holy Ghost. If you don't know the word, you don't know how to be led by God. 
I'm just going to tell you that up front. And this is important because we're going into a year that you're going to need to. We're all going to need to. God knows the end from the beginning. From the day you were born, he knows your whole life. It was all planned out. And he's trying to direct you to walk in it instead of walking in your own path that's creating all your problems. He's trying to get you off of the path of self and get you on his path because his path is the path where the blessing drips. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So again, why don't a believer know if the Lord is leading them or not? Is the Lord speaking to me or not? I think that was the Lord. Was that the Lord? I think it was. I'm not sure, though. It might have been. Why is it that a spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer is so unsure of the Holy Spirit leading and speaking to them? Not enough time in the Word. Not enough time in the Word. Not enough time speaking in tongues. Not functioning as a spirit being. Not in a habit of hearing in the Spirit. And setting our focus on the Spirit. Because to hear something is not proof it's God. Because you know you hear all kinds of stuff and you have no idea. Is that God or not? Huh? Why do I have to spend so much time in the Word? Because when I'm spending time in the Word, when I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, when I've got myself set and open, got my mind set on the things of God and not over here wandering someplace like a dog pooping in the, in, the, in the park someplace. You get your mind under control and bring it into focus where it needs to be. You get yourself set and pay attention when you're in the Word of God. And the Spirit of God will speak to you while you're in that Word. Amen. And the same Spirit that speaks to you when you're in that Word is the same Spirit that speaks to you in your life. I know his voice, and another one I will not follow. How do I know his voice? Because I've hung around him. I've hung around his word. I know his voice. So therefore, when I'm out in my life, I know his voice, and it's designed to speak to me as I go on my way. Isn't that right? When you're in the word of God and you hear the Holy Spirit speak in your spirit, you know that it's him. And that same voice speaks to us in our life. If I do not hear and I do not follow the general written word of God, man shall not live by bread alone. If I do not hear and follow in general written word of God, then how can I hear and follow specific leadings like go to the other side? If I can't follow a word of God that says rejoice always. I'm glad you're so happy about that. <laughs> if I can't obey that, how do I know he wants me to go to Walmart to witness to somebody? This is why people have to have their leg broken or whatever and open the door to the enemy to get them out of the way. Like that woman I told you about in the hospital winds up with all of these complications Because God was trying to do something over here, but she was so set on her own way and not listen to God. Oh, you know, God, God, you know, you know, God allowed this sickness to come upon me because I wound up in the hospital and I got to witness to the person next to me. 
You know why? Because he couldn't tell you to go witness to the person next to you. Why couldn't he just tell you, go over to room 332 and witness to that person in there? Because you don't listen. <laughs> so when we, we don't listen, we're opening the door to the end. See, a lot of times we think, oh, the, you know, I'm, I'm just doing as best as I can. I'm living good and all. I don't know why I'm opening the door to the enemy. Because it's not always about what you do. It's what you don't do. You might obey some things, but then there's things you don't. And there's things you don't listen to. You don't set yourself. Don't shout me down. If we don't follow the general written word of God, how are we ever going to follow the specific leading? Because usually, by the time we figure it out, was that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? I think that was God, but I'm not sure. I need three witnesses. And by the time you finally figure it out, the opportunity that he's trying to get in your life is gone. You missed it. And then we say, I don't know why God don't do. It's because we don't listen. Now, I'm only telling you this because next year, it's going to be really important to listen. If you haven't been listening, it's time to get it together. Amen. Verse 12 and 13. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Do you believe that? Do you live for that? See, do you live for that? The fact that when Jesus comes, reward is with him. Do you live for that? Do you live every day thinking, I'm trying to get, add up some rewards? Or, yeah, you know, if I just, I'm just going to, you know, flesh out for a while and lose reward. That's okay. See, how do you live? Do you live for that? Or are you just happy knowing it? Oh, I know that. See, are you happy with that or are you going to live for it? Because that day is coming. When Jesus spoke to the churches, he talked about overcomers. For him who overcomes, overcomes, and then there were rewards for overcomers. Isn't that right? But notice what it says here. I'm coming quickly, and my, my reward is with me. He didn't say I'm coming with rewards. He said I'm coming with my reward. And we'll get to that. Verse 17 through 19. The spirit and the bride says, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Now, those two verses, three verses, tells me this is serious business. You don't get a do-over. This is serious. 
He said about, what was it saying, 17? Could you go back to 17? The spirit says, and the bride says, come. The one who hears says, come. The one who's thirsty says, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Come. See, it's a call that has to be answered. And it's open to everybody and anybody to answer that call. That whosoever believes, whosoever can come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him can come and have everlasting life. Anybody. There is no partiality with God. There are rewards and there are loss of rewards. If you add or take away from the book, what book? Is it the book of Revelation or is it the book of the prophecy, which is the whole Bible? So can we add and take away from the rest of the book? No. It's the whole Bible. Of course, it talks about it even in Proverbs. Talks about it in other. Uh, talks about it in Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, it's talking about don't add, don't take away. Same thing. So it's not just the book of Revelation. The book of the prophecy is the Bible. The subjects in the book are woven throughout the whole Bible. And the verse here, in effect, condemns any tampering with God's word. You tamper God's word to make it fit what you want. That's not good. Now, this does not apply to minor differences of interpretation, but an outright attack on the inspiration and completeness of the Bible. And what we add or what we take away shows up in our words, our actions, and our deeds. For instance, has God said you should not eat of the tree? Oh, God said we shouldn't eat of it or touch it. She added to it. Which means now the word of God has no power in our life. When Paul, after they, he got sent out with uh, Barnabas from Antioch, and they came across a pro-council that, that the Lord would have him to witness to. And there was a magician there called Elymas. And he stood against what Paul was saying and was contradicting the things that Paul said. And Paul said, you worker of unrighteousness, you son of the devil, you will not see for a time, and men will lead you by the hand. And then he went blind. He didn't go blind. It was just the mist that came over him. Are you with me? You understand? Okay? So, what does he say? If you add to it or if you take away, if you take away, or I mean, sorry, if you add to it, add the curses. If you take away, you lose reward, right? So when Jesus comes, he comes with what? His reward. So go back and look at that in verse 12 again. I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. And what is his reward? 
that he gets to render to every man according to what he's done. Judgment. That is his reward, is that he gets to judge. That's why the Bible, he's the one that paid the price for sin. He's the one that judges. Judgment is in the hand of the son. His reward is to render to each one according to the deeds in accordance with the works of the book, the Bible. How much do your works line up with what the word of God says? Oh, it's not about what you feel like. Listen, you could be on your way to hell and be so morally good. But that don't save you. So it's not about what you think. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I do good. I do, you know, I'm doing right. Are you doing what the word says? Because that's where the reward comes from. Judgment will be based on what you do in accordance with the word. That is the reward of the Lord Jesus. He gets to then say, well done or well all right, let's finish here. 21 and 22. It says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Three times in one chapter, he says, I'm coming. Three times in chapter 22, he says, I am coming. Okay, he says it again, I think, in verse 22, doesn't he? He says, I'm coming. Uh, but he says it three times in, in the one chapter, okay? So he's making a point here, and he wants us to hear it. So will we hear the call? See, he's preparing us. He's getting us ready. He wants us to know he is coming. Are we going to prepare ourselves for his coming? Are we going to live? For his coming. Or are we just happy knowing. Yeah he's coming. See are we just happy. Because you got to remember. When he comes. His rewards with him. So how do we prepare for his coming. By not adding or taking away from his word. And living in what his word says to live in. Ready. For his coming. Well, before he comes, next year is coming. And we have to be ready to step into the upcoming year, knowing our future and hopeful expectation. That's what this is designed to give to us. Those last several chapters of Revelation is to give you a hopeful expectation. You read through in the beginning of the churches, you read through the tribulation, but then you come to the ending and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that I am the saved. I have a hopeful expectation. I have a future and an end. Isn't that right? Now, Jesus already knows about the upcoming year. I don't mean the theme. I mean, he knows everything from January 1st to December 31st. Okay. And he's ready to direct us in the way we should go. To fulfill his plans and purposes. The time has come. Uh, can I say this? Yeah, I guess I could say this. But the time has come, if you've been in the word long enough, to grow up. And I'm looking at the wreath. I'm not looking at anybody. 
But the time has come that we need to grow up to where we stop asking God for everything I want and start asking him for what he wants. We have to make the shift from God, this is what I want you to do for me, and start saying, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And start living that life of obedience rather than living a life of just need and want. And you will find that all your needs and wants get taken care of in a life of obedience. Because when the Lord brings prosperity, he adds no sorrow to it. Isn't that right? He wants to direct us in the way we should go to fulfill his plans and purposes. He's already been there, just like he's already been there, what he's talking about in Revelation. He's already been there. He's already been in next year. And he can declare the ending from the beginning. And he can lead you every step of the way from the beginning all the way to the ending. Because he knows the way it's supposed to go. And if we understand that 6,000 years ago all this was in a plan. And nothing has changed from the days of the garden. And it's all working out to come to that finale. Then how can we not trust him with next year? He's the living one. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the living word of God. And he has everything that's needed. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Oh, Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We give you the honor, Lord God. We lift you up. We bless your name. We say hallelujah to the great God, the great King, the mighty one. There is none like you, Lord Jesus, holy one. Magnificent are you, Lord. You are the commander of the armies of the saints. Oh, Father, we look to you that by your spirit you direct us, you lead us, you guide us to walk in your way, to walk in your path, to go in the direction you'd have us to go and do the things you'd have us to do. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for everything that you would give us to do and set us on to do, that you provide all the provision and everything necessary to do it. Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you, Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. For you alone are worthy, Lord. You alone are worthy. You are the lamb that was slain and the lamb that was raised. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I sure hope that this has stirred on the inside of you. You know, the Word of God is not something that you want to take and try to figure out. You want to let it just stir on the inside of your spirit. Leave your head out of it. The more you get your head involved, the more confused you will get. You need to let it stir in your spirit. Amen. Amen. So whether you're in the room, live stream, podcast, that's for all of us. Letting that word just stir up on the inside of us. And sometimes we hear the word and it just shakes on the inside. Well, just let it shake. Just let it stir and just let it build on the inside. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace. Thank you for all that you are, for all that you do. We come before you now, Lord, with our giving and sowing our seed. We know that it's the end of the year. 
if we have not yet, we're starting to sow our seed, Father, for the upcoming year and believing you that our needs next year will be taken care of and will be met, that we can live next year in the overflow and live as the distribution center that you want us to be. And we sow our seed today going into that which is coming up. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. You joined us on live stream or on podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. And we do um, consider it an honor and a privilege to share the word of God with you because we know that it is what sustains you. It is what fills you. And it's the only thing that can quench your thirst. So we thank you for joining us and allowing us to share that with you today. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. It's always an honor and privilege to stand with our partners and believe God with you for your needs to be met. Amen.